0: Coming up, the PGA has an unexpected yet familiar winner, no not Brooks Kepka, but Phil Lefty Mickelson as he becomes the oldest player to win a golf major, I'll dive into that, the NBA's opening weekend of the postseason, and why the playing tournament needs to go, the first round of the Stanley Cup playoffs is coming to a close with a couple of surprises, plus the Yankees are kicking it into overdrive at the moment in a jam-packed AL East and the absurdity of all these no-hitters, I may have a reason as to why. This is just a warm up, people, as I get locked in to entertain, inform, and maybe have a couple of good laughs along the way. Sports talk the way it should be, but first, this message. Hey, everybody, J Reels here to share a friendly reminder. If this is your first time getting an opportunity to listen to what it is that I have to say about what's going on in the world of sports, welcome aboard. Or if you've been a longtime listener, not only do I welcome you back, but I want to advise you all to please subscribe, rate, and review the J Reels podcast on wherever you listen to podcasts. Of course, this pod is on all platforms. On Apple, Google, Spreaker, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Luminary, Castbox, Player FM, even Amazon Music, I not only host this endeavor, but I independently produce, edit, and write what you read and listen to. So your participation is vital to not only support the podcast, but increase the visibility, fuel the growth and expansion of this platform to those who aren't familiar with it. You could also share the show or a particular episode by posting on social media as well. The purpose of this is quite simple, people. To generate interest to those who aren't aware or know of this podcast, especially the former or current athlete, the broadcaster, blogger, sports writer, studio host, etc., as I want them to share their experience on the field, the court, the press box, broadcast booth, or in the studio with me, so then I can flip that to you guys and gals to deliver top-notch, fast-paced, entertaining, informative, incredible sports talk unlike any other for everyone to listen and enjoy and to keep coming back for more on a week-in, week-out basis. You could also go to my website at www.jreels.com for more information about yours truly, the podcast, archive shows, etc. I appreciate you all for your support. Thank you very much for listening and believing in me. I hope you come back for more as your trusted source on everything that's happening in the world of sports. So with that said, the J Reels podcast begins in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Let's get this sports podcast party started, all right? The J-Reels Podcast. Why don't you wait until July 1st to make an announcement? What a disgrace. He can rack up all these numbers in October, November, and December, but what really counts is let me see this in January. The Sports Rebel without a pause, delivering fast-paced, jam-packed sports talk like no other. Listen, I gotta call it as I see it. He is not a good player. I'm sick and tired of having to deal with the disappointment of this franchise. When does it stop? And yes, another winter that I can sleep in peace. Coming correct, direct, and in full effect. Let's get it. This is the J-Worlds Podcast. Welcome aboard. What is happening, my good people? Greetings. How are you? How's it going? How's everybody doing out there? What is the latest and greatest? Hope everybody's well, feeling fantastic, in great spirits, as I hope, to wherever you may be on this planet, as summer has arrived early here in the Northeast. It's been close to 90 degrees the past couple of days in New York City, with a couple of more to come this week. Now, no one, I absolutely mean no one, can complain about how the weather has been as we've finally been able to enjoy a mild to seasonably warm spring around here. And despite an upcoming cool Memorial Day weekend that may be in the forecast, it's going to get hot. And whether you know or not know, yours truly is all about the summer and the warm weather, so this is right up my alley. Speaking of hot the sports universe is scorching with so much going on and you're in the right place to listen to it all as this is the J Reels podcast with your host J Reels for my first timers welcome aboard and for those who've been banging with me for now 195 episodes just five away to 200 I welcome you guys back it's a Monday May the 24th in the year of our Lord 2021 the J Reels what's the deal segment what's expected on this podcast is as follows A lot of hot streaks in Major League Baseball, the Dodgers are starting to reel off a bunch of wins, seven in a row, the Padres now nine in a row, but the Yankees may be the hottest team as they've won eight straight series, six in a row, they're starting to click, especially with their starting rotation, as they've been on top of their game, including Corey Kluber's no-hitter on Wednesday down in Texas, and on the subject of that, two more this past week, including his, I'll get into why this achievement has lost its luster and the possible reason for it. That'll be later on in the podcast, as well as the playoffs in both the NBA and NHL, kicking off this past week, the opening weekend of the NBA playoffs in the books. I'll review what's taking place as we head into the first full week of the quest to the Lawrence O'Brien Trophy, sometime in mid to late July, and now there's talk about a mid-season tournament. You know I have to throw in my two cents on that. I'll explain a little bit later on the podcast as far as that goes. Also in the NHL we're getting deep into the NHL's first round of the playoffs as a couple of teams have moved on to the next round in particular Colorado and Boston. I'll go full bore on what lies ahead for those two teams and who may advance into the second round of the Stanley Cup playoffs including my beloved Islanders as well as my hero and zero of the week. I have a strange admission to start off this podcast. Is it me or does it seem weird to see fans in these arenas and stadiums because this is what we've become accustomed to over the past 10 months? Now don't get me wrong, it's a great sight to see, to have ambiance and energy coming from beyond the court or diamond. It makes me think what the fans north of the border in Canada are feeling because there isn't a fan to be seen on TV. If you've watched any of the playoff games, whether they've been in Edmonton or in Toronto, just to name those couple of places. And as the country is starting to make its way back to normalcy, whatever that's going to be, not just today, but down the road, one thing that seemed a bit normal, and in historic fashion, I might add, was Phil Mickelson winning a major golf tournament as he did over the weekend in Kiwa Island at the PGA, where he had to sweat a little bit yesterday, but he was in complete control pretty much since Friday when he got himself to the top of the leaderboard. He and Brooks Koepka were pretty much mano a mano there on Friday and Saturday, but as we... Heading into the final 18, where Mickelson did have that two-shot lead at this point. And I'm not going to say he cruised, because he did have some Phil Mickelson moments. Of course, the big shot on five from the bunker, which made it into the cup, which was a sign of things to come, not necessarily of what took place up until that point, but pretty much for the rest of the match and the last 13 holes. And Mickelson, even there toward the end, where you thought maybe he was going to start to feel a little bit of the pressure where he bogeyed on 15 and 16 and then at 18 when he hit that shot well into the lie there at the left of the fairway and that was going to be a tricky shot for him because at that point he was two strokes ahead of Brooks Kepka at that point but while watching at home you never thought that he was going to be in any type of peril even on that last hole because he was just phenomenal throughout the course of the weekend and in particular yesterday to sum up his sixth major championship as well as the first PGA since 2005 so to think 16 years between PGA championships and I will say this and not to throw cold water on the matter but if you ask Phil right this second would he trade in yesterday's victory for a win next month at the U.S. Open which is pretty much right in his backyard at Torrey Pines in La Jolla outside of San Diego I'm sure he'd say you bet your ass I would but that's for next month I won't get into the U.S. Open right now It's about what he did over the weekend and what he did yesterday, but it just goes to show you that he still had something left and maybe some momentum that will head into next month's US Open, as I mentioned. I'll touch on that in a second, but the one thing that dawned on me in watching, and particularly yesterday, that's what I was focused on because I was in and out of it from Thursday through Saturday, and then yesterday I was home and I was able to zero in on what was taking place here. And it was must watch TV Because we have not seen Phil Mickelson At the top of a leaderboard In quite some time Especially in a major And with him being 50 He'll be 51 next month We didn't know If there was going to be Any opportunity For a one Phil Mickelson Considering that His last major title Was eight years ago So yesterday He had his moment Where he knew Destiny was all Under his control And it was just a matter of him To make key shots Not to hit the ball in the drink, or not have one of those triple bogeys, which would have set him back in, who knows, would have ended up in second place, and it would have been a long and tossing, turning, sleepless night for one Phil Mickelson, but of course that was not to be had, and as I was watching this yesterday, and looking at the scores, and you see a lot of these tournaments here, where players are going to shoot in the double digits, or even in the teens where they pretty much take the golf course by storm and dominate throughout the course of the weekend but this wasn't the case here in Kiwa Island down in South Carolina because when you look at the tournament overall you had a lot of your key names not making the cut you had a lot of key names that certainly weren't anywhere near the top of the leaderboard and it made me think for a second on whether or not was this more a Phil Mickelson win Or was this everybody not playing well and not doing whatever it took to get them to Sunday to be within striking distance of a one Phil Mickelson? I mean, think about it. The only elements that you had was the wind. If you watch the tournament over the weekend, it is majestic and picturesque as it could possibly be. You had the ocean right there to the right or to the left, depending on where the camera angle was. The sun was shining. You could hear the waves crashing, especially in those last couple of holes and you wonder if the wind had something to do with it which you probably did anytime you're near the ocean of course you're going to have a dip in temperature and you're going to have winds and gusts pick up but when you're Dustin Johnson or Tommy Fleetwood Xander Shoffley Justin Thomas and Adam Scott not making the cut it makes you think that whether it was in their head or maybe the wind if they want to use that as an excuse was a factor that goes to show you why they didn't show up there on Saturday and Sunday because of how they performed there Thursday and Friday and then when you look at the rest of the field whether your name is Rory McIlroy or Bryson DeChambeau even Jordan Spieth Patrick Cantlay who was eh, laying in the weeds but did not make any type of push or was a threat there to Brooks Kepka or even Phil Mickelson you want to throw in Webb Simpson even the Masters champion from last month Hideki Matsuyama Those guys, although they finished on the plus side, they weren't even able to make it under on a hole because of, I would think, partially the elements and just not being able to make clutch putts or hit the fairway, whatever it may be. But Phil took charge there starting on Friday and was at the top of the leaderboard and he did not relinquish it over the course of the last two days. And you got to give it up to him because here's a guy that, as I said, has not won in eight years. He has not been a part of the top golfers in quite some time. In fact, he's ranked 115th in the world. And we understand as you get older and father time, your play is going to start to tail off a little bit. And not to say that his play is falling off a cliff, but we all thought that the best days of Phil Mickelson were behind him. And all you got to do is just look at the back of his golf cart, if there is such a thing, to see what he has done here as I pretty much detailed leading up to this moment that he is pretty much a shell of his old self well yesterday that was not the case because when he was able to perform the way he did and make those big shots like the one on five and he putted well especially yesterday where a lot of the other guys on the field whether it was Brooks Kepka or even Louis Ustuzan who missed a lot of key putts there and would have made it a lot closer and a lot more thrilling for the golf fan and certainly for CBS who was broadcasting the event. But this was all Phil Mickelson. And then he was the story, and understandably and rightfully so. So for Ula Susan, who was unable to make some key putts there, especially since he was a hole ahead of everybody else because Kepka and Mickelson teed off at the same time there yesterday. Give it up for Kepka too because his knee held up well. And remember, he had his knee scoped three and a half weeks before the Masters, he did not play well in the Masters, in fact, didn't even make the cut, where this time around, and remember, he had won the PGA in 2018 and 19, so he was primed to get a third PGA Championship in the last four years, but as great as he played, his putter betrayed him at times there yesterday, and unfortunately at the end, which I'll get to in a moment, he had a little bit of a scare with his knee, having to deal with the crowd as they got a little bit unruly there with Mickelson going up toward the green to pretty much ice his victory on the 18th hole so without a threat to be made over the course of the afternoon yesterday Mickelson was in control granted that it looked like he was about to lose it there not necessarily the match or the championship but there were a couple of holes where he bogeyed and it made you think that uh uh-oh is this going to be the Mickelson that has lost a lot of tournaments over the years where he was able to just unravel and not gather himself or compose himself to the point where he could continue to get on that path to be a champion. And we've seen it with Mickelson over the years so many times where he'll just miss fairways or his short game, he ends up missing the green. His putter has been good and a lot better than most of the people that are on the tour right now. And granted that he's about to be a generation behind when you think about him. He's been playing golf forever. But for Mickelson yesterday, even in those couple of moments where he bogeyed late and then the shot to the tee on 18, there was enough margin for error on his part because the only way he was going to escape not winning this tournament is if they hit the ball to Charleston. And thankfully for him, he didn't do that. And he is your winner. Once again, congratulations. I've never been the biggest fan of Mickelson. And I get that he's not everybody's flavor A lot of people who feel that way are usually Tiger Woods fans And I do like Tiger I mean, I'm not one that's going to break out the pom-poms him left and right As far as what he does on a golf course But you do admire his will and his assassin-like approach to the game Especially when Tiger was at his heyday And Phil wasn't that guy Phil was the total opposite He was an aw shucks Pretty much a bland personality And nothing personal toward him, but that was just, to me, that's why I didn't really like Phil. And there were many moments where he had spit the bit in certain tournaments where he was unable to get over the hump, especially with the Masters after all those years. And then in 2004, he finally got his first one. And then he's been great ever since until this recent stretch where he hadn't won a major in now eight years. But here he is at the top of the mountain here at the PGA winning. And let's see what this means for him next month at the U.S. Open, Tory Pines, pretty much in his backyard. And a lot of people are going to look at him as the storyline, and rightfully so. Just like Tiger's winning the Masters last year or two years ago, what the next tournament in the PGA, a lot of momentum, a lot of push for Tiger at that time. You can only imagine what type of odds are going to be stacked against Mickelson this time around, because he was 201, I believe, in winning the tournament. So if you lay down a nice hefty wager for a lefty to come out victorious, I'm sure you're uh, sitting pretty and your feet are up nice and comfortable after that payday but Mickelson, and it's way too early to talk about even going down that road with the U.S. Open which will be Father's Day weekend next month but give it up to him congratulations what a stupendous performance by Phil Mickelson. and now with the U.S. Open being his Achilles heel we know this is the one tournament and especially the one major that he has not won That's why I brought up earlier about him trading yesterday for US Open next month. And you know damn well that he probably wouldn't admit that this morning, but give it about a week after it sinks in, he'd probably say, yeah, give me that US Open trophy. Because if he was to win, whether next month or at some point before he retires, that is the one last major that he needs to secure himself of a career Grand Slam. Because he has three masters two PGAs and one British. So that's the only thing that's left on his resume. The last trophy that needs to be put up on his mantle is that US Open. And again, there's going to be a lot of buzz and a lot of talk about Phil come this time next month. Well, really, It will be about three and a half weeks from now on whether or not he's going to be able to not only just be in the running, but be close to the leaderboard on Sunday for him to try to capture that. And that would be a remarkable story. I mean, that's <laughs> there's no ifs, ands, buts, and maybes about it. But we'll have to wait and see about that. The tournament overall, if you're not a Phil fan, a lot of these guys didn't show up, did not play well, made you wonder did they check out? Did they not want to compete? I'm not going to go as far as saying that, but when you don't see those guys, especially Dustin Johnson, he missed the cut in the Masters and here at the PGA. So you got to wonder what's going on with him between the ears, considering that he won the Masters last year in November, although it was due to COVID, but. Some of these golfers were unable to get on track over the weekend and we'll wait and see what that means as we get closer to the next major come June, I believe the 18th is when it'll kick off. So again, the tournament overall, not a great one, didn't have a lot of drama yesterday. Yeah, Kepka was pretty much hanging around, same for Ustuzan, but nothing to where you thought, oh, this is going to be the push, or oh, this is going to be the chance for them to try to draw even with Nicholson you didn't see that kind of similar to the Masters last month where there looked like there was a moment where Xander was going to inch closer to Matsuyama but that wasn't the case and pretty much what you got yesterday was a carbon copy of the Masters last month so and lastly what in the hell happened there on the 18th hole between the crowd and security is beyond me now this is the first time we've had large crowds at a golfing event in quite some time Granted, we've had crowds come in slowly but surely with some of these events over the last few months, but this is a major. And did they not grasp the magnitude of what was taking place, considering that Mickelson was on the cusp of history, and how at the 18th hole, after hitting that shot over there to the left on the lie there, and him making that shot out to get on the green, where the throngs of people just happened to not only surround Phil Mickelson but also Brooks Kepka to the point where Kepka was nervous because remember he had surgery on his knee prior to the Masters and he felt that there were people not only crowding him but they were actually in his quote dinged into him a couple of times and where he felt as if he was going to re-injure himself and he was quite surprised at how that took place and he gave Mickelson all the credit in the world in the post-match interview which kudos to Kepka and even Mickelson for him to come out and say yeah it was a little bit unnerving but he was taking it all in a lot of thumbs up and fist pumps etc but when you watch that unfold and you just see all these people trying to surround him and even tug at Mickelson take pictures video crowd him and forget about COVID that aside but just from a security standpoint where were these people and I blame both sides because the crowd they're going to do whatever it takes because they feel like they have the I don't want to say liberty But they feel like because they're that close to these golfers, now I'm not saying from a personal standpoint, but just from a proximity perspective. And then here they are, they're engrossed in what's going on. They're in the moment. They want to cheer Phil on. They want to be able to even get a piece of him to a certain extent. And with no security, at least an abundance of security around to try to put this at bay or at least put a little bit of a calm to it, you, this could have been worse than what we saw. And as I'm watching this, I was perturbed. I said, geez, what the hell is going on with security? And then the crowd certainly didn't act well. You know, just who knows if they were half in the bag, who knows if they were already five beers in or whatever, and they just got swept up. It's still, have a little bit of class, have a little bit of just the, the awareness to see what's going on and not get so caught up To the point where you're crowding this guy who's on the verge of just trying to finish this final hole so he could raise the trophy over his head and exhale. So that's just a terrible job all the way around between the crowd, security, and thankfully it wasn't worse than what we saw. Two majors in the books, we'll look forward to the third one next month and we'll certainly talk about it at that time. Alright, so now we go from a championship to now quests for championships in both the winter sports the NBA and the NHL I'll start off with the NBA since the first weekend is in the books the NHL we already had two series that have closed out a sweep Colorado over St. Louis and then the Bruins dispatching the Capitals in five after losing game one so we'll get to that a little bit later on but the NBA I'm going to start off with the play-in tournament because I don't want to see this ever again And I understand it does bring intrigue to teams that could make it into this postseason by having this playing tournament when you're looking at the Memphis Grizzlies, and that's pretty much the only thing you can hang your hat on as to why you want to keep it. But when I was on these airwaves last week, and I talked about how Memphis lost in Golden State the night before, where Stephen Curry had 46 points, was pretty much made a spectacle because by him scoring that many points he was the scoring champ leader for this past NBA season and not to say that the Memphis players were going to look at that as for revenge or we'll look at that as all oh, we'll be back not only losing the game but for Curry scoring that many points but with Memphis winning their game against San Antonio and Golden State losing to the Lakers in a game that they should have won I mean they were the better team throughout Anthony Davis and LeBron James did not have good first halves in that matchup and they barely squeaked by with the LeBron three at the end and Golden State had to play another game in which they lost to Memphis and they were upstart and ready for the challenge knowing that four days prior they lost in that same building that to come back and then to secure that eight seed I'm sure it had to feel good for the Memphis ball club for them to go in there and do what they did just four days prior losing in that building to then move on to a postseason, to dash away the hopes of Golden State, who had two opportunities to get there, to where Draymond Green even said in the postgame how they're still quite a few years away or nowhere near in contention, and I'm paraphrasing here. So there's a lot of work to be done if you're the front office for the Golden State Warriors, but even with Memphis winning all these games, and I understand the Laker Warrior game was good, but you might as well turn your sets off at halftime with these games forget about Indiana and Charlotte that was a snooze fest to begin with Washington and Boston was competitive until the third quarter where Jason Tatum went off as well as Kemba Walker and they ran away with the game by the time he got into the fourth quarter then you had Memphis San Antonio was competitive but Memphis was pretty much in cruise control and didn't seem to be threatened by the Spurs although like I said it was close late but still they were able to prevail and then you had the Game between Indiana and Washington was no contest. And then, obviously, what happened Friday night with Memphis and Golden State. Now, how I look at it is this they just need to scrap this all together. There's no need for them to have this play in tournament. If that's the case, just expand the playoffs to 10 teams. Why not? I don't like that. If they even thought about doing that, it would be a complete waste. That means you would have 20 out of the 30 teams making it to the postseason, which is 66% which at that point you might as well just have everybody make it but for them to have this playing tournament I just think it's a waste of time yes does it add a little bit of excitement and a little bit more intrigue to those teams who are trying to make it as a 9 or 10 seed to maybe upend them to then play in this playing tournament it does but when you look and see what happened here and I understand Memphis. They went in there and wrecked the party by saying, hey, we were a 9C that went in and made it as an 8. I think you're going to have a situation where the 7 and eights are going to be more likely to advance than the 9-10 teams. And in this case, you got 25% of the teams that made it to the actual tournament. And then there's this talk about a mid-season tournament that the NBA is flirting with the idea of. They need to scrap that right away because for them to do some sort of at the all-star break amongst eight teams single elimination where the winning team will win a million dollars per player, some sort of payout, uh, why even bother? Stop making it more than what it is. They don't need to make it as a gimmick. They don't need to have a chase for the number one pick. No, don't do that. It's just a complete waste. I get that they're trying to attract more fans, more people to watch these games, eyeballs to the television sets as I like to say, but just leave it alone, let it be what it is, don't even have a playing tournament like I said, because just have your top 8 and move on from there, stop trying to make it more than what it is or to reinvent the wheel because it's just a waste of time, there's no need to tweak it, update it, whatever, just leave it as is, please. And we could just move on from there. Now, as far as the weekend goes in the postseason, I know we have a couple of upsets. When you look at what has taken place in the West, where Portland beats Denver on Saturday night, one twenty-three to one hundred nine, where their philosophy was let Nikola Jokic, which was probably going to be the league MVP this year, let him score all his points, but as long as he doesn't get anybody else involved, as long as he doesn't get those assist numbers up we'll be fine and for at least for one game it worked because Jokic did score 34 points but he only had one assist and if the Nuggets can do that over the course of I'll say the next six games but let's say if they could dispose of them in five or even in six that's going to be a key contributing factor for them meaning Denver not being able to win a game in the series and again it's only one game we're not going to get crazy Remember, Portland won game one against the Lakers last year, and we know what happened after that. Not to say that that's going to be a carbon copy this time around, but if they could have Jokic just have one of those games where he's going to score 35-40 points, but he's only going to get nine rebounds and one or two or a handful of assists, then they've done their job. They just can't get anybody else on Denver to go off to where they're pretty much going to match as far as points or even get the assists from Jokic to put into the basket And have Denver be successful here. So that was the first upset early on. And then last night with Memphis and Utah, Dylan Brooks was the man, not John Morant, as he scored 31 points. No Donovan Mitchell as of yet. His status for game two right now is uncertain. But for the Memphis Grizzlies to now win their two games to get into this postseason and then to win game one in Utah, where, as we've said time after time, Utah is a one seed and all these winning streaks especially early on doesn't mean anything if you can't win in the postseason. And I get that one of their key players is out of the lineup but there's no excuses. You got to find a way to beat a Memphis team who is green, young. I get that they're playing with house money. They can pretty much play freestyle, free, willy-nilly and let's just see where the chips may fall. Understood. But Utah again just one game but they need to regroup and bounce back in a big way and I think just for their confidence sake this team needs a 121-97 type win just to get themselves feeling good because even if they were to get out of Utah with a close victory whether it's in regulation or overtime you don't think it would bode well for them long term whether it's in this series or even in the next if they do advance so that's something to keep in mind I think they need a rocking chair type victory here in order for them to advance and do the things that they have set out to do considering the regular season that they had so those are the two big surprises over the weekend I know Dallas and the Clippers that was a big one there where Luka got his triple-double 31-10-11 and 11. but here's the thing we know the Clippers in between their ears and what's in their chest we know that they have the capability to go deep into a postseason but A, we haven't seen it and B, again You have to question whether or not the mental and testicular fortitude with this team is in their DNA at some point because they will not advance if they don't get their act together. And when you look at the box score, Paul George, who said he's in a better headspace this year than last, of course he had to deal with the bubble and all the mental health stuff and understandably so and that's nothing to kid about. But even with him scoring 23 and he only shot 8 for 18 from the field, And Kawhi had 26 but was 9 for 22. They have to do a much better job at being efficient on the floor. And not only that, but also to get themselves in the win column because they do not want to go back to Dallas 0-2. I think they're going to even it up. I said the Clippers are going to win in six if you listened to the podcast last week, but not a good start for the Clippers. If you're wondering whether or not that this team is looking to exact not only just revenge per se on Dallas because there's no revenge that needs to be taken care of considering they won the first round last year but just the bad taste that was left in the organization and their fans mouths after losing a 3-1 series lead to Denver not the way you want to get off this postseason with that type of loss and with Luka pretty much taking over the game by himself as far as the other games for the most part competitive I know Miami Milwaukee which tipped off the postseason hard for it down to the wire Chris Middleton hits that fall away in overtime to win I think that's going to be a six-game series with the Bucs winning although the Heat they could tell me otherwise and we saw the Heat beat the Bucs last year in the bubble I think that's going to be a pretty much what you saw in game one I could see that being the rest of the series so we'll keep an eye on that last night you had the Hawks and the Knicks where the largest gathering at an event in New York since COVID struck over 15,000 and they were pumped and ready to go a raucous crowd excellent game back and forth lead changes but it was too much Trey Young at the end as the Knick defense did not have an answer for him and you want to couple that with Julius Randle being a non-factor six for 23 did not shoot well did not play well Alec Burks was your guy with all the offense yesterday with 27 points the Knicks will regroup I think they'll be fine but I will say this this is Julius Randle's really big opportunity to shine here in this postseason considering the regular season that he had he has to come back with a monster game I think he'll do so I believe it's in him but if Randle's going to be inconsistent here and let's say come back with a good game and have a bad game and listen is he allowed to have an off night? he is but when you have games of this magnitude You cannot just chalk one game and throw it in the garbage and then expect to roll out there and score 35 in a heartbeat. That's not going to be the case. This is a whole different ball of wax here. I wouldn't be alarmed just yet with Randall's performance. Although you want to see more consistency, you hope that he's going to shoot a little bit better here come Wednesday night. Not only that, maybe he had some pregame playoff jitters, which could attribute it to his performance yesterday. But now that he's got that out of the way. It should be the Julius Randle MVP caliber player that we've seen all year. And if you don't, the Knicks are going to be in for a very short series. So keep in mind for that. As for the Sixers and Wizards, no, it wasn't Joel Embiid. No, it wasn't Ben Simmons, but it was Tobias Harris leading the way with 37 points as they dispose of the Wizards in game one. Bradley Beal had a team high 33, but with Philly, business as usual, Only one game in, we'll see if the whole Embiid-Westbrook, remember they had a, I'm not going to say a feud, but there was a lot of words back and forth at one point there over the years, so let's see if that will manifest into this series to give it a little bit of edge or a little bit of nastiness, which I would like to see, but one game in and you figure that Philly's going to dispose of the Wizards, I would think in five, if not five, maybe even a sweep, but we'll keep our eyes on that. The... Brooklyn Nets got their postseason off to a slow and sluggish but victorious start as they beat the Celtics on Saturday night. To me, they walk through the first half, missing a ton of threes. I believe they were one for 13 in the first half, where the Celtics had a lead, actually had a double-digit lead early in the second quarter. But then they turned on the switch. They took over in the second half. They had a big 18-point run where KD Kyrie and James Harden combined for 82 points, led by Kevin Durant's 32 And Jason Tatum only had 22 in the game, which came off of the 50-point barrage that he had against the Wizards in the playing game. As I said last week, and I'll say it now, this is a sweep for the Nets. The Celtics, who hung in there for two quarters, but they're not going to be able to play 48 minutes against this team. They're just not. So Celtics are going to be right for the picking in this postseason. And then to round it all out in the West... I went to the Lakers last because I wasn't sold on the Suns all year long and people actually brought up whether or not because of their seeding if the Lakers would have beat the Suns that would be an upset. I mean, please. I think if the Suns happened to beat the Lakers in the series that would be more of an upset and I don't care what the seeding is because you have a young Suns team who has done nothing in the postseason has not been in the postseason in 11 years And I get you have Chris Paul there, who was in and out of the lineup yesterday as he banged shoulders with his teammate there under the basket. Wasn't really effective, but he did make a couple of big shots. This was all Devin Booker, 34 points in his playoff debut to go along with DeAndre Ayton's 21 and 16. And the Lakers, who I said a couple of weeks ago, if they're not going to be 100% healthy, I don't see them being championship ready now we understand in between the ears and in the chest they are but physically this could be a year where they may not be able to make it to the finish line and I'm not trying to say last night or yesterday afternoon was any indication of that but when you look at the performance by Anthony Davis and in the post game he admitted he puts the full responsibility on him five for 16 13 points in the game LeBron was not good either he only had what do you have I believe 18 off the top of my head did not shoot well And LeBron's got to stop it I know this has been going on forever with LeBron But to see this in back-to-back games It just infuriates you Whether it was in the playing game When he got hit by Draymond Where he fell and collapsed to the court And he was down there for a minute and a half He didn't want to get up And listen, I'm not trying to say that he didn't get fouled Or didn't get smacked But you would think that uh, he was playing soccer Somewhere in the Premier League overseas And somebody hit his shoelace And he just went flying as if he got run over by a truck and then you see yesterday when he was tangled with Chris Paul at the free throw line where Paul was trying to escape his grasp and then LeBron gets hit and then he falls to the court and you would think that Chris Paul was built like the rock Uh, enough already LeBron we know that he's trying to get calls and he's trying to sell and he's been doing this forever so this isn't anything new totally get that but I gotta call as I see it I mean this is just tired already and you just hate to see it especially from a guy who is obviously the best player in the sport for him to just flop all over the place and be down on the court as if uh you know is was on life support I mean, let's put it bluntly so by him overdoing it you're just tired and it's just rough to see after all these years and especially in back-to-back games but I think the Lakers they're going to be fine here, I can see them regrouping and winning a game two, and then I picked them to win in six to begin with, and I think that's going to be the case, because if Phoenix were to pull out the series, I'm not going to sit here and say they're going to go to a championship, but then you have to take them serious on whether or not they can make it there, and in the next round, they would face Denver and or Portland, so still a lot of basketball to be played here, as we're just getting underway with this postseason, And one last thing here with the NBA, I know that they've announced all the finalists for the awards, and I'm not big on this. I mentioned Jokic earlier, but you also have Joel Embiid and Stephen Curry are your MVP finalists, and I don't have a vote, so I'm going to say that right off the bat. Embiid missed a lot of games this year. Curry, I get it's a regular season award, and he was phenomenal. He had that stretch where he scored, what is it, 11 games over 30 points and was unconscious. But Jokic has played almost every game And without him in Denver And that's not to say without Embiid And they played a long time without him And I don't recall what their record was But you take Jokic off that Nugget team And forget about it They may not even make the playoffs You'll even have a couple people argue where CP3 He should be a finalist for MVP As well as Julius Randle Now Randle because their team Was in the middle of the pack And although it was a huge part Of this Nick Turnaround Uh, doesn't belong in those top three with those guys uh Chris Paul you could argue with whether or not he belongs there and he should but who are you going to take out you can't take out Embiid because of the impact that he's had this year granted he only played in two-thirds of the games Curry is Curry and then Jokic he's played in almost every game so it'd be tough to kind of swap one guy for another although Chris Paul deserves to be in that conversation but that's I'm not going to get to coach of the year and all the other different types of categories I just wanted to throw out the MVP for now because we'll talk about that once the season's over and they have the award ceremony so that's what we have there with the association people now let's turn our attention to the ice and the NHL which has been as advertised you have a million overtime games which is typical the NHL in any quarterfinal, semifinal cup final etc It goes without saying that these matchups are pretty much right down the middle, sometimes just the bounce of a puck. But we already have two teams gone from the postseason, and one being the St. Louis Blues, the Stanley Cup champion of two years ago. They get swept, and they, no excuses for them, but they crawl to the finish line to make it to the postseason, and Colorado was just amped and ready to go, considering they lost to Dallas in the conference semifinals last year or was it a conference final off the top of my head I have to think about that I believe it was a conference semi and with Colorado moving on the only story would be the possible suspension of Nazem Kadri, who had that hit on Justin Falk he was handed eight games down by the league and words to come out you would think before the next series on whether or not the appeal is going to go through of course Kadri's a guy who's going to appeal here to maybe get it down to six games or even five who knows but you would think even if they get it down to six if the next series goes six games and if they win you could see him in a conference final or at that point it's not even a conference final because of the way the year is it'll be a cup semifinal. so I'll have to wait and see the fate for a one Nazem Kadri for the Avalanche and then if you're the Bruins who dispatched the Washington Capitals in five games after losing game one as I mentioned in fact a bunch of overtime games to start that series in the first three games in particular but for the Capitals and I'm going to start with them here first when you look at what has taken place with this team over the last three years since they won a cup final they lost in the first round to Carolina in 2019 they lost to the Islanders in five games last year and then they lose to the Bruins in five games this year to where there may be a shakeup as far as personnel is concerned, because I believe Alex Ovechkin could be at the end or near the end of his long contract. I believe it was a 12 years, $84 million when he signed it back in, I guess that's 2009. Now you would think that the Capitals will probably resign him. I mean, how could you just let him go at this point of his career? He's still productive. He's still one of the best goal scorers out there in the league but you do have to wonder whether or not they're going to have to make some wholesale changes because now granted that cup's going to last forever it was eluding that organization forever especially in the Ovechkin era and when they finally got it beat in Vegas four games to one three years ago but since then they have fallen flat on their face now I don't know if they need more toughness they do have a guy in Tom Wilson as we've talked about on this podcast here in the last few weeks So that isn't one thing they're missing. But who knows? Whether it's their goaltender. Remember Braden Holtby was their goaltender forever. And then now their replacement, I believe Craig Anderson. He's no longer, he's not not as any good or not as better than Holtby was when he was here. So you got to wonder whether or not this capital team is in for an overhaul. But that's for down the road. The Bruins, what could you say? They played phenomenal here. They'll move on to play the winner of the Islanders and Penguins. And that series is evened up at two. And that's been nip and tuck pretty much close throughout. Remember, game one last Sunday was Kyle Palmieri's coming out party finally after not being successful in the regular season, scoring two goals, including the overtime winner. The Penguins then take game two after being up 2-0 early in the game, but they were able to hold on to win 2-1. A seesaw affair at the Coliseum there on Thursday to where the Islanders were down 3-1 and 4-3 before tying the game. But then late giving up that goal to Brandon Tenev with about three minutes, and uh, it was about three and a half minutes to go to where the Islanders had to bounce back and win a game four to know that they could come back to the Island, maybe for the last time, who knows? Because remember, they're moving into a new building next year. But kudos to Coach Barry Trotz for taking out Semyon lamov They had to get him out of there. He had not performed well here in his postseason. And remember, Ilya Sorokin, who was in net for game one, came back in game four, was sparkling, gave up just the one goal. Islanders bounced back 4 1. So now momentum as they play a pivotal game five tonight. And I said the Penguins are going to win this series in six. I got to stick by it. I hope the Islanders win in six. I think they're going to win a seventh game in Pittsburgh. Again, this Pittsburgh team, as much as I've talked about over the years with their championship pedigree, and Evgeny Malkin is back in the picture as far as the Penguins go he didn't play in the first couple of games so now you have a scenario where the Islanders if they could just steal one tonight in Pittsburgh and bring it home to kind of ice it you wonder similar to the Capitals will there be a complete overhaul or at least a lot of personnel changes with the Penguins considering that they have more of a playoff pedigree than the Capitals do but because they have the aging veterans the aging superstars is it time to now make that transition to get younger Maybe even a little bit deeper And Again That's a question That's going to be answered Down the road But something to keep in mind of Right now Considering that the series is even And who knows By the time we speak next week Whether the Penguins Will be alive or out Of the postseason Then when we look at the Central Carolina Who got off to a fast 2-0 start in this series They lose back-to-back Two overtime games To the Nashville Predators 5-4 and 4-3 this could be a home seven game series now if Carolina's going to show you something of course they'll win a game five at home but let me see them win a game six on the road because that's another thing you have to keep in mind that if this Carolina team was played very well especially toward the second half of the season to I'm not going to say zoom past but to get past and over both Tampa and Florida in that central division the longer this series goes and it's already gone long just in the last two games alone you figure that Carolina may have some wear and tear here as we get deeper into this postseason. So let's see if Nashville could steal one in Carolina for them to put a lot of pressure on the Hurricanes and maybe force them to an elimination game, game six down in Nashville. And then you have Tampa and Florida. That's been a hotly contested series. We talked about game one last week where it was back and forth. Nikita Kucherov with the two goals coming back, but Braden Point with a minute 14 in game one gets the goal there to secure the game one series victory, but then they ended up winning a second game down in Florida before coming home to try to extend their series lead to 3-0, but the Panthers did not have anything to hear about that because down 5-3 in the third period, not only did they score two goals to tie, but they get the winner in overtime which was an enormous goal and just a great comeback by the Panthers and you just thought at that moment that maybe the tide would turn as far as the series go where maybe the Panthers will try to even up the series and bring it back down to South Florida and make it a best of three that was not the case as Tampa showed why that they're the defending Stanley Cup champions winning 6-2 there and putting the Panthers on the brink of elimination which would be tough because they've had a very good year themselves after a slow start and I would like to see that series go at least seven games. I'm rooting for Florida. I can't stand Tampa. But it looks like Tampa's going to escape and move on to the next round against Carolina or Nashville. And then when we look out in the West, we talked about Colorado dispatching St. Louis. Vegas looks like they're going to do the same to Minnesota as they lost game one and overtime won nothing. But since then, the Golden Knights have shown who's boss winning three straight in an in inconvincing fashion. So Vegas looks like they're going to cruise to a series victory unless Minnesota pulls off an upset in Las Vegas and they did so in game one so it's not as if they can't win in that building but we'll have to see and then the teams north of the border I'm going to start with Edmonton they're down 0-3 in their series now granted in game three down 0-2 Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl They finally got on the score sheet. The Winnipeg Jets had only given up one goal in the first two games in Edmonton. And then right off the bat, 2-0 lead by Edmonton. They led 4-1 at Winnipeg. And what happened? Similar to what we saw in Tampa between the Panthers and Lightning. The Jets come fighting back, roaring back to the point where they tie the game. And then win in overtime on a goal by Nicole Ellers. And now they're down 0-3. And if you're an Edmonton Oilers fan, I know you got to be sick because you had the game's best player on your team. And other than a couple assists by McDavid and those two goals by Dre Sadel, the Oilers have not been able to get on track. And right now, they're on the verge of getting swept out of the postseason, which would be just an awful job by Edmonton. Now, give Winnipeg credit. I've always known them as a defensive team. Yes, they have some guys that can put the puck in the net. But when we look at their goaltender who's been there forever and a one, Connor Hellebuck and what he's done so far in this postseason and he held the game at bay even down 4-1 knowing that he couldn't give up any more goals and he was able to with help from the offense was able to get in rhythm make big stops and here they are just one game away from advancing into the next round and the next series which is the only series that's played two games to this point which is Montreal and Toronto they didn't have game one until Thursday And right off the bat The Canadians put early pressure But a lot of that was due to the hit By Corey Perry To the face of John Tavares And that was completely accidental There was nothing intentional about that hit I know later on Nick Foligno Who was brought to Toronto For this very reason Not that he's a resident tough guy Or a heavyweight by any stretch But he's a guy that has a lot of personality That has a lot of heart A lot of gumption A lot of fire and leadership And that's what he showed there to the rest of his teammates by getting into a fight with Corey Perry but even Perry mentioned he tried to avoid him at all costs now Tavares got hit on the side first where he ended up spinning left his face exposed and thankfully he had a shield across his face where a lot of players do wear those just now you know in this day and age but for Perry then to try to get out of the way and his knee clipped the head of John Tavares was an ugly scene. They were trying to get him up off the ice and you could just tell he was unconscious and had to be rolled out in a stretcher. He did show the thumbs up, but the Maple Leafs were certainly not in the game at that point. They ended up losing 2-1, to one, but then bounced back in a big way and they needed that game because we had to see what the Leafs were made of considering everything I've talked about over the last few weeks everything about this team and what they've been able to perform and to lose their captain and pretty much the heart and soul of their team in that game one where he's going to be out for at least two weeks to win five to one to have the scene now shift to Montreal for the next two games they didn't need a nail biter or a three overtime victory or anything like that they needed a rocking chair type game and that's what they got and hopefully that could propel them to get themselves out of this first round quick fast in a hurry for them but Montreal will be feisty and Carey Price as we all know is a very good above average goaltender and could certainly turn a series on a dime but Toronto hopes to now have at least a bit of control on their side a bit of a balance to where they could just kind of go about their business knowing that Tavares is not going to be in the lineup and they could just play their game so we'll see how that shakes down over the course of this next week or so. So that's pretty much what you have there with the NHL in the first week of the postseason. So your surprises off the bat, Washington losing the way they did after winning game one. i also going to look at Edmonton and I don't want to hear that they don't have a lot of playoff experience, et cetera, but no, these guys got to get on track here and get themselves going. They're going to lose this series. I doubt that they're going to come back from 3 but they're going to have to take a long, cold, hard look in the mirror this offseason to see what's missing there as far as them making a deep postseason run because they have the talent. And then we also look at Nashville and what they've been able to accomplish here in these back-to-back two overtime wins. Is that going to be enough to propel them to extend this series to possibly a sixth and maybe seventh game? Or was this too much for them where they run out of gas and then Carolina just takes over? So that's what you got here so far in your NHL postseason. And then John Davidson, who we talked about a couple weeks ago, was let go by the Rangers and that whole fiasco with Tom Wilson and the statement and Jeff Gordon, the GM. Well, JD landed back on his feet in a very familiar place, I might add, in Columbus, where he was prior to coming to the Rangers. And you would think that he's going to hire a coach. We know coach John Tortorella was shown the exit at the end of the season so he's gonna have to roll up his sleeves and start earning his paycheck right away as he's got to look for a head coach to lead his team back for the 2021-22 season so that's what I got there with the NHL and NBA postseasons, and now we can turn our attention to the baseball and there's lots for me to dive into here but where do I begin? With so much to kind of dissect here, and as we talked last week with the first quarter of the baseball season in the books, how it's been very lackluster to say the least, and when we just look at the past week, we had the two no-hitters in baseball, we also had winning streaks by teams that were expected to be at the top of their divisions, and one at the current moment is the San Diego Padres who come into this week with a nine-game winning streak where the LA Dodgers are nipping at the heels with a seven-game winning streak on their own. And then we also couple that with the AL West when we look at the Red Sox. Now, they don't have a winning streak coming into this next to last week of the month. But when the Tampa Bay Rays, who are on a 10-game winning streak and then the Yankees winning six in a row, with what they've done with their starting pitching, I understand that it seems like the baseball world is back to normal, so to speak, when we have these teams performing well. And we'll get into that in a second. But I want to start off talking about these no-hitters. And one pitched by Corey Kluber last Wednesday against the Texas Rangers. And then the night before, the Detroit Tigers' Spencer Turnbull throws a no-hitter against the Seattle Mariners. To where you now, if you add them up, have six no-hitters already before Memorial Day. But even worse, they've all come against three teams. So no, it's not as if you have six no-hitters with six different teams. Or all right, maybe you had six no-hitters against five different teams, no, the three teams who are the culprits are the Seattle Mariners, the Cleveland Indians, and now the Texas Rangers, two each for those organizations who I'm sure they're not too happy about that, but I have some reasons as to why this may be the case and why the no-hitter is not special anymore, one, and you know I'm going to go with this people because you know how much I can't stand it, you got to look at the analytics. Now, granted that the batting averages are plummeting in baseball to, I believe, last week there were 236, which is the lowest in baseball history. Now, granted, it's not a full season yet, but still. And part of the problem is, is that you have these teams that are swinging from the heels. And why is that? The stupid analytics. And I understand maybe even coaching or scouting has something to do with that. Because when everything is focused around launch angle Everything is focused around exit velocity, you have shifts everywhere where people are pulling the ball left and right instead of trying to hit the ball where they ain't, or try to spray the ball over the field because strikeouts are more important than trying to get on base, it seems, or striking out is a lot better than making contact, which makes absolute zero sense, and I don't care what analytic person, I don't care what major league scout, I don't care what GM, front office person could look and tell me right in my eye to say, well this what is what makes the game better nonsense this is a disgrace when you're watching how Seattle's performing how Texas how a lot of these teams how you're seeing pitchers going into these late innings with no hitters you even had Madison Bumgarner throw a seven inning no hitter which I understand is not going to count but that's a whole other story you got to go back a few podcasts to go to listen to that but it's an out and out disgrace the way the game is today based a lot of it on the analytics And then the other thing is too, and I thought about this, which I find fascinating because when I look at Pete Rose and you could talk about him until you're blue in the face with all the stuff he did off the field, the gambling, etc. But the one thing that the guy was, he was a gamer. And one thing that always stuck with me from what he said many years ago, one of the reasons why he has the most hits in Major League Baseball history, 4,256, is because he never threw away at bats. He never gave up on them. So, if it was 10-1 losing in the ninth inning or up 15-5 in the ninth inning, he didn't give up in the bat. He was the type of guy where I'm going to try to make contact, get on base, do whatever it is that I can to get that hit. That's not to say the players of today aren't thinking that way. That's not to say the players of today don't want to get on base or pad their stats. But again, if it's 15-1, they're trying to hit the ball into the upper deck to pad their stats, to try to get their careers going or get themselves into the free agency to command the top dollar that to a certain extent right they deservedly would request but at the same time that's what's about the numbers so when you have a scenario where teams are batting in the 230s and are not trying to get on base or at least try to get the ball on the ground or get it in the air or try to shoot for gaps if they're not trying to do that this is why you have a feast or famine type sport whether it's all about the three run homer or the pitcher is throwing 15 strikeouts a game and it's a disgrace and that is part of the problem is it the full problem? no but you can attribute it to that because every time I watch a game when I see a ball that's hit up the middle where you think oh it's a base hit there's always somebody standing over second base to make a routine play or when you think it's going to be toward the hole there's three infielders on the left side or same for the right side these shifts are just killing the sport and my thing is that if you're a left-handed batter and you're a pull hitter guess what hit it the other way you think there was a shift when Tony Gwynn played now a lot of people don't know who Tony Tony Gwynn is I get that but still it's just frustrating man I mean the sport that I love is just becoming a, a sham it really is So that's the deal with the no-hitters and why baseball to me has just been not good so far this year. Now let's get to these teams that are playing well. I mentioned about the Padres, nine in a row. Tatis hits a grand slam yesterday. He's back from COVID. seems like all is right in the world there with the Padres. Let's see if they can keep it up and keep themselves atop the NL West here while the Dodgers are coming off winning seven in a row after they went through that stretch. Starting off the season winning 13 of 15 and then losing, I believe, 15 of 20 before getting their season track and doing what they've been doing here over the last week plus so then you have the Yankees who are now winners of six in a row but they've won eight straight series and they've gotten outstanding starting pitching not only just Kluber's no hitter there Wednesday but Domingo Herman has turned his season and his career around for that matter after getting smacked in his first two starts remember he got sent down and then now he's been back and I believe he's 4-0 and and his ERA is under two you also look at Jordan Montgomery who matched zeros and strikeouts and double digits with Carlos Rodon on Friday night against the White Sox. And even though Aroldis Chapman who blew his first save and gave up his first run yesterday, he has been dominant. And he gave up a home run to a guy named Andrew Vaughn who I've never seen him in my life. But, and he hit it oppo 435 feet into the bleachers. But the Yankees were able to prevail with an Aaron Judge walk-off. And now, if their pitching is anything to what it could be advertised, we know about Cole. Cole is phenomenal I would think he's you could argue with him or Grom. and even as a Met fan Cole's been just as dominant now the Grom will be back tomorrow Met fans so thank God for that he's going to pitch against Colorado and there's no excuse here Met fans they need to sweep Colorado here why is that not only because they're one of the worst teams in the sport they have two road wins and we're already close to Memorial Day so if they can't sweep them uh, listen two out of three I guess you'd have to take but I want to sweep I'll get to the Mets in a second but the Yankees are playing well. Gleyber Torres is starting to hit. He'd been pretty much mired in a six-week slump. And then now he's starting to hit the ball over the wall. He's starting to get key hits. Part of big rallies. So he's doing well here in the lineup. Judge has been great. Sanchez, he's been Sanchez, batting 181. Even DJ LeMay, who was taking a step back here, he's in the 260s. So you got to wonder what's going on with him. Because the guy was batting, it was a... AL batting leader last year and then obviously was a top three AL MVP two years ago so I don't know what's going on with him he seems to be off kilter but you figure that he's going to turn it around at some point but that's what we got here with the Yankees as they're flying and you also got to look at the race too 10 in a row and that AL East is jam-packed and I'll get to the divisions in a minute as far as other news Mike Trout which is a big blow for the sport he's going to be out six to eight weeks and maybe even more with a calf strain looks like it could be even more serious, which would probably be after the All-Star break. And the Angels, they can't get any type of breaks. We know they have no pitching. They have a very good lineup. We know Shohei Otani and what he's done, especially with the bat. But for Trout to be out, and again, nobody in the East Coast watches him unless he's playing on ESPN in a highlight game or here in New York, he's playing against the Yankees where they're going to watch him closely. But uh, that's one big loss for the sport right there also Albert Pujols goes right up the freeway as we talked about last week and he hit his first home run in the Dodger uniform wearing number 55 so you would think he's going to get some spot duty there at first and listen he had five home runs for the Angels so you would think that he's going to add something if he's going to play I know Max Muncy has not gotten off to a good start this year so does that mean there's going to be a platoon scenario with Muncy and Pujols Muncy's a left-handed hitter that remains to be seen also the situation with the White Sox funny enough so they come to New York this week they had a 26 and 16 record and flying high they're going to play against the Yankees and yes they did have a couple competitive games Friday and Sunday Saturday got blown out and Cole was just magnificent but you had this scenario and this is for the young fan out there where in a 15 to 4 game mean Mercedes swung on a 3-0 pitch where he hit a home run off of Williams Estudio he is a third baseman catcher utility player where he was used in a mop-up duty to where he's swinging for the fences at 3-0 and Tony La Russa in the post game came out and pretty much threw him under the bus now La Russa did offer a sign for him not to swing so he definitely did not get the green light there at that juncture of the game and of course La Russa is going to do that he's an old school manager he's Hall of Fame manager he's been around forever but for Mercedes to ignore that he needs to take responsibility and ownership of it and I don't want to hear what some of these players have to say even his own teammate Tim Anderson who, you know, king of the bat flips saying that, oh no, you do you you should swing, it doesn't matter you're up there to swing, blah 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 Trevor Bauer coming out making comments Lance Lynn through Twitter nobody wants to hear that if he ignored a sign and he said the hell with that, I'm going to swing then players are going to look after each other I get that, but it's inexcusable But LaRusso was also wrong too by letting it get to the press to where he even said that by him swinging on that 3-0 pitch that he was clueless. All he should have said was he and I spoke about it, took care of it in-house, next question. That was the reason why the players were up in arms about Mercedes swinging at a 3-0 pitch up 11 runs in the ninth inning. Because if LaRusso just would have came out and said that already taken care of I spoke to him I'll just leave it there and move on but since he didn't say that and mentioned the word clueless players are going to be up in arms Uh the game has passed him by he doesn't know what he's talking about just let the players play I tell you and this is what's wrong with sports and again if there was not a take sign there and if he wanted to rip 3-0 and then fine you cannot quibble about it by any stretch but if a 3 0 take sign was given, and he said, The hell with it? And I'm just going to smack this ball over the fence or swing at it. Because he could have popped it up or grounded out. I understand that. But this is a terrible job by Mercedes's part. And then to get on LaRusa, and listen, I have no reason to be a LaRusa apologist or to back him 100%, but what's right is right. I mean, there's no way that Mercedes should have hacked there knowing that he was supposed to take at that juncture of the game. So, that's what we have there. And then the next day, the reliever there, Tyler Duffy, threw behind him. So, if that didn't show you right then and there that what he did was wrong in the ninth inning of the game prior to him being thrown, then you're not paying attention or you never watch baseball an inning, let alone a game in your life. So, that's what we got there. And then the reliever, Duffy's actually been suspended three games for it. I don't know if he's appealed, but a suspension was handed down to him in regards to that. Yeah quickly with the Mets I know they've been a mass unit here of late I know they're still in first place It's weird to think 21-19 and 19 And they have Whatever it is A half game lead Over the Phillies But They need to get healthy Quick fast in a hurry I mean they have major Players out Whether well, their name is Jeff McNeil Michael Conforto Pete Alonso Even Taiwan Walker Who's had an issue But I mentioned about the Grom He'll be back tomorrow So that's going to be A welcome addition to their rotation And hopefully the Mets could take care of business As they have Colorado and Atlanta coming in over the course of the week and as we go through baseball real quick with these divisions and it's starting to heat up a little bit as we get to Memorial Day it's kind of the barometer I know the first quarter is coming gone but you kind of get a sense for what these teams are going to be like for the rest of this year and right now when you see it the Red Sox and Yankees haven't played as of yet and I think they play the first weekend in June if I'm not mistaken and I may be in Boston I'll double check that for next week's pod But they are tied with the Rays for first place with the same record. Yanks are a half game behind them at 28-19. Toronto, who has hit the skids here, and they're in danger of falling fast in this division because they come to New York for three days starting tonight. And that's going to be an interesting series because remember the Blue Jays have taken four of the first six against the Yankees. So I'm sure the Yankees are going to want a little bit of payback. So that's a series to watch as we head into the week. And then the Orioles will be out to see if they already are out to see in the AL East now the Central still close there between the White Sox and Indians Royals have played a little bit better as they're closer to 500 but the division is within reach four games and you can forget about the Tigers and Twins as of right now out West Oakland has a game and a loss but one and a half over Houston And then you have Texas, Seattle, and LA. Seattle has definitely fallen as they've lost six in a row. And Jarek Kalenic, as all Met fans are keeping an eye on, he has not hit pretty much since that day. He's had hits here and there. But after that first home run to start off his major league career and two doubles, hitting three for four, and Met fans shaking in their boots of what's to come, obviously has not performed well since then. We talked about the NL East and how that's unfolding. Five teams separated by two and a half games. And the Mets still have a lot of games to make up. Remember, they didn't play the opening series against the Nationals. So, something to keep in mind. And the Mets have already played 25 games on a road. And that's without the three games in Washington to start the year. So, just think about that. Cardinals and Cubs, they played three games this weekend. But the Cardinals still hold a two-game lead in the division. The Brewers, three back. Reds, five and a half. And then the Pirates. And then we talked about out west where the Giants have slipped up a little bit. Getting swept by the Dodgers over the weekend to where Scott Casimir came back and had a performance there against the San Francisco Giants, which uh, right off the top of my head, I believe wasn't long or even good for that matter. But the two-team race that you think that will take place may start to cook here between the Padres and Dodgers. So we'll see how that goes where you have Colorado and Arizona rounding out the NL West. And then one last baseball note, I know a lot of people may or may not know the name Rennie Stennett which is a great baseball name. He recently passed away at the age of 72. Don't know what the cause of death was, but the reason why I bring him up is because we talk about records being broken in baseball, and this is one that's very, very, very obscure. There's actually two of them off the top of my head, but this doesn't go up in the annals of Joe DiMaggio's 56-game hitting streak or the aforementioned Pete Rose's 42.56 as far as hits, or even Cy Young's 511 victories, and there's a lot of them. Cal Ripkin's 2632, consecutive games played, et cetera. But Rennie Stennett, in a nine inning game back in 1975, went seven for seven. Only time it's happened last century, it probably happened in the 19th century, but think about that in the last 121 years one person has done that nine innings seven hits that's like a softball box score I bring that up because we'll probably never ever ever see the likes of that and he just died recently so I just want to give him some due not only based on his name he was a longtime pirate. pirate was part of that 79 championship team but infielder but for him to go seven for seven an achievement nevertheless and then my over-unders I'll go through next week I figured that We'll get to the one point Memorial Day. We'll go over my overrunners to see where we're at. Then then 4th of July, which will just be five weeks after that. Then Labor Day and then at the end of the season and we'll see where those numbers end up whether on the plus side or the minus side or maybe in, right in the middle at three and three. And then one last thing I want to talk about. This Sunday, there's an event that's going to take place that was much ballyhooed and regarded as one of the staples of summer especially when we talk about kicking off summer just like spring when we think of Augusta and we think of the azaleas and the tradition unlike any other when we're watching the tournament especially here in the northeast when we are looking forward to warm weather and hoping for 75 sunny days and we see what takes place down in Augusta for those four days well the kickoff of summer was usually the last Sunday of the month At the Indianapolis Speedway For the Indianapolis 500 And listen I'm not going to preview it I couldn't even tell you Who's in the race of my life Dependent on it But the only reason Why I bring it up Is because As a boy That was Americana As a boy When I received That Sports Illustrated In the mail The Wednesday Or I think the Thursday After the race Who was on the cover of that? Yes You saw AJ Foyt You saw Jackie Stewart you saw Mario Andretti, you saw the heavyweights of racing at its finest. And over the last 20 some odd years, and I get NASCAR is all the rage, but it it kind of falls by the wayside of one of the great American sporting events. And I get that auto racing isn't for everybody to watch cars circling around a track for what seems like forever. But I bring that up is because I may make a mention of it next week who knows maybe it'll be much ado about nothing but it's just a shame how one sport was pretty much revered and I guess that happens over time when you look at maybe boxing or another sport that was so popular in its heyday that now it's just pretty much an afterthought but I wanted to bring that up because I like to give it its due every year around this time to know that that sport although I may not have watched it much as a kid but if it was Sunday and if I came in to eat lunch or I was about to go outside and say hey what's happening with the Indy 500 just to see who was winning because I knew who the drivers were so I just wanted to throw that in the mix before we bid adieu as the Indy 500 this Sunday as Memorial Day weekend is upon us and the unofficial beginning of summer where it's synonymous with the aforementioned Indianapolis 500 so now let's move on to our hero and zero of the week my hero of the week maybe it's heroes I should put this as plural Goes to the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School baseball team in Parkland, Florida. Shouts to my brother, Justin Gavin, who graduated from that high school, which is north of Coral Springs. They won the Florida State baseball title three years after one of the more horrific mass shootings in American history took place, and obviously do not need to go through that. They also did win a state title back in 2016, but it's a feel-good story. Nevertheless, three years late, but for a community and for pretty much a county that is still picking up the pieces from that tragic event that took place on Valentine's Day back in 2018 a story that'll never be forgotten and not only just in that area but of course throughout the country congratulations to them wonderful job second state title but first since uh, what took place there a few years ago so they are my heroes of the week and my zero of the week goes to former number one overall pick Kwame Brown now I see he's shooting a shot to gain any type of traction or relevancy as we all know he had a bust of an NBA career being a number one pick overall by the Washington Wizards Michael Jordan the whole nine and that's fine if he wants to try to get himself back in some sort of circles to be known or be relevant but in the fashion that he's doing so comes across as petty embarrassing and downright classless if you ask me taking shots at former players former teammates cursing and acting like a fool on several live streams on social media Uh, is he bitter Uh, it seems like he is and if he has a right to feel that way if it's legit so be it I get it but could he have handled it a lot better than he did a thousand percent and that's my point let's see how this unfurls over the coming weeks as I'm sure this may resurface but just google it Kwame Brown I'm sure a bunch of different stories will pop up you can read for yourself not a good optic my guy so you are my zero of the week And that'll do it. Episode 195 in the books, just five away from 200. Looking forward to it. Hoping to get a very special guest to represent for that 200th episode. So you definitely want to stay tuned for that. And if there's a way that you can help on your end, which I said at the very top, and I'll bring it up briefly here, just to help promote the growth and expansion of this podcast, I implore you to please subscribe, rate, and review. Um, wherever you get your podcast whether it's on Apple Google Speaker Stitcher Spotify iHeartRadio Luminary CastBox Overcast even Amazon Music all you need to do is just subscribe go to your phone go to any one of those apps because when you do subscribe it'll hit right to your phone every Monday roughly between 4 and 5 p.m. Eastern so then all you have to do is just hit play on your app or you can even go to the website at www.jreels.com for more information about me, of course. But also you could get the podcast there. Because what that's going to do is increase the visibility of the JReels podcast with all those outside who aren't familiar with it. Whether that be the former or current athlete, the broadcaster, the studio host, the blogger, sports writer, etc. Because I want them to share their experiences with me. So in turn, share that with you to have a second podcast usually by midweek or by Thursday to be on twice a week to bring more of the J Reels podcast to you so please subscribe rate and review at your earliest convenience if you want to hit me up with a question comment criticism praise on any of my social media outlets whether via DM by Instagram at J Reels or the J Reels podcast which is strictly sports on Twitter J Reels one just a number on Facebook, the J Reels Podcast fan page or the old-fashioned way, the J Podcast at gmail.com. Please forward whatever you want my way. I'll be sure to follow up with you. And then finally, when it comes to supporting this podcast, whether it's the production, the website, the equipment for this weekly endeavor that I do, you could go to my Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash the J Reels Podcast. That's P is in Paul, A T is in Tom, R-E-O-N is in Nancy. Whatever you want to contribute, I would sincerely and be grateful for whatever you want to put forth to support this podcast because, whether you do or do not know, this is what I love to talk about, people. This is my passion. This is what fuels me ever since birth. It's in the DNA. I love to break down my opinions, analysis, to entertain and inform you all on everything that's happening on the diamond, the ice, the gridiron, the hardwood a golf course racetrack tennis court you name it from my lips to your ears from my heart to your soul from where I am to wherever you are the J Reels Podcast always comes correct direct and in full effect from the South Bronx to South Beach to South Center the South Pacific and all points beyond peace, love and God bless everybody and until next time on the J Reels Podcast on the flip baby